Welcome to the Slam Radio Podcast, featuring Front Page 305. All right, welcome to Front Page 305. I'm your host, Walter Villa, and that's my producer, Frankie Fernandez, playing Casey and the Sunshine Band. You know, Frankie, I feel like I just ruined a perfectly good show. We're listening to Casey and Sunshine Band. I have to open my mouth and ruin everything, but uh, be that as it may, uh, we're going to talk first today about the Florida Panthers are red hot. Uh, one of the hottest teams in the NHL, four points out of first place uh, with 25 games to go. And so I'm honored to bring on as our, as our first guest today, Craig Minervini. Uh, he is the host of the Florida Panthers and the Miami Marlins games on Fox Sports Florida, soon to be called Valley Sports Florida at the end of this month. Uh, Craig, welcome to the front page. Craig, are you with us? Yes, sir. Hey, man. Welcome to the front page. Hey, good to be on the front page. Used to the back page. Nice to be on the front page for change. Did you did you listen to the intro? Did you listen to Casey and the Sunshine Band? No, your producer called me and uh, I didn't hear the. You want to do it again? I, I did not oh, hear. Oh my you. God! No, no, no! You. There you go. That's the way. Uh huh. Uh huh. I like it. I mean, you're you're a man of a certain age, uh, uh, Craig. That had to that had to mean something back in the day, right? Yeah, I, I wasn't, it wasn't my favorite group, but yeah, they were, of course they got a South Florida tie. You know, they've been Absolutely. around here for a while. Yeah, of course, it wouldn't Absolutely. be my you know favorite spot. But it, it, look, if it's your favorite spot. That's fine. It's your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were you were born in New York. Give us a, 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 the the one minute Reader's Digest. You were born in New York, and when did you come to South Florida? I think you're from New York. I'm not sure. Yeah, so I grew up on Long Island, and I came to South Florida right around 1989-90, right around there. Okay, okay. I was born in New York City as well in Manhattan, came here when I was six, and that was in the early 1800s. I'm very, very ancient. (laughs) Uh, But let's talk about about the Panthers. My first one is going to be a little bit of a tough one for you here, Minervini. Okay. Who do you think, if you had to choose, you know, you want to see the force to choose, if let's say the Panthers make a, uh, a run, Say, let's say they get to the Stanley Cup final. Be a dream. All right, like they make a run this year. Hey, it's not out of the realm of possibility. They're doing great. But if they do that, who would deserve more credit? The GM, Dale Talon, who, you know, drafted a lot of these guys like Barkoff and Huberto and et cetera. Um, the new GM, first-year GM, Bill Zito, who's made a lot of uh, a lot of moves in the last year. Patrick Hornquist and Radigo, uh, Radigo Gudis gave him toughness. He brought in uh, Carter Verhage. Anthony Duclair with his speed, or the second-year coach Q Joe Quenneville, who would you say? Who would you think under that scenario would get the most credit? And it's good. It's a good. Uh, it's a good question. I don't. I don't think you could do it because you said more. I, I'll give you more in percentages because they all would deserve something. Uh, right. But I think you got to give Zito probably the, the the nod there because he brought in wow. new faces and changed the uh, culture. Uh, and then secondarily, uh, probably the uh, head coach who did an unbelievable job with the bench. And then I'm glad you mentioned Dale Town because absolutely he brought in so many of these key, the, really the core that unfortunately couldn't galvanize to win enough to keep him around. But that is the core of the team. So I, I think, right. but you know, I don't think you can answer that like 100 percent to one guy because they're all playing a role. But without Zito putting his touch in. And Quenville having a year where he knew what he had, probably had some say in this too. They're probably not in this spot if they had stayed the same way. Right. No, it, yeah, definitely in percentages because, you know, Talon, not only I mentioned Hubie and Barkey, but, you know, the, the goalies he brought in, both of them are doing well, Bobrovsky and Dreger, um, which leads me to my next question. So uh, biggest surprise on the team, I guess Carter Verhage would be a candidate. Seems to be blossoming at age 25, having a career year, or maybe a goalie. Gris Dreger has been, you know, he's 26. He pretty much has outplayed Bobrovsky or somebody else that I didn't mention. Who would you think is a surprise to the team and why? Well, the, you know, the surprise, I guess you can't say Hornquist because he's been kind of as advertised. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so probably Verhage probably would be right up the top of the list because of how many goals he scored. Although if you watched him last year, he just didn't get the playing time. I, I don't think the Panthers are that shocked. They put mm-hmm. him on the first line. You know, it's not like he rose from the fourth to the third to the second. So maybe he's a surprise to the average fan who couldn't spell his name or never heard of him before this year. But I'm not sure he's such a surprise to the team. Drieger, I think they saw this coming too. That's why he, uh, you know, he had a great little run last year. And he's been able to sustain it. 
I think that's that's been huge for the Panthers. You know, I, I might throw a, a Radko Gudis in there in that mix for the the impact, just because it's different. The Panthers haven't had a heavy hitter on the mm-hmm. blue line who does it in a clean way. He doesn't pick up a lot of penalties. He's not a dirty player. Mm-hmm. He's just a hard hitter. He's a guy you don't want to play against. And that's been the biggest change, I think, for the Panthers. Is they've been more difficult to play against. Did you before Bobrovsky had a, a great streak there? I think he won six or seven in a row. Before that, did you kind of worry for the Panthers that you know if if Dreger is putting up better numbers and what was going to be the dynamic there between goalie one and goalie two? You know, Walter. To be honest with you, not not really. Um, first of all, Bobrovsky's got the history, right? So he's not going to lose it overnight. And last year, they didn't play very well defensively against him, and I, and I backed him for that. I'm not saying he had a great year by any means last year. I'm just saying, you know, uh, the, the world's greatest goaltender can't stop much in the All-Star game if you don't play defense. And if you give right. guys a little easy – like, for example, the other night, I thought they played a great game against Tampa Bay, and I say great in quotes, but they gave up two bad goals at least. <laughs> One on a power play where a guy got behind, I think it was Forsling, and tapped it into an empty net on a power play. It can't happen. So the mm-hmm. Panthers really played a very good game. But if you have a quick breakdown or two against a great team, you're not going to win. And and, and, that's the, and it wasn't the goalie's fault. So Drieger's been great. I think he got a great a great issue because I think the key for them is you can win with Drieger. That's, that, I think that's really important. You, can, you don't feel bad when your, quote, number two or one B guy is going in there. You can win with him. Ideally, yeah. you know, you'd like to lean on the guy who's won two Vesna trophies and the guy mm-hmm. you're paying all the money to. And that's, I think, yeah. what you're seeing lately. But you can win right. with either one. Now, Keith Yandel is a player to be admired, in my opinion. He has that Ironman streak, uh, excellent power play quarterback. But I have one colleague who will go unnamed. But, and I'm sure there's others out there that believe Yandel, age 34, hurts a team defensively. What are your thoughts on Keith and the strength and weaknesses that he brings? And obviously, they, they keep running him out of there. The organization lo- uh, loves him, I'm pretty sure. But you've probably heard some of, the, some of that criticism. Look, he's an offensive defenseman. There's no question about it. He's not, he's not a big hitter. Look at the, the stats. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of hits. Uh, what does he have, 20, 30 this year? It's not his game. He's, he's there to be uh, the power play quarterback, move the puck, Hopefully not hurt you too much. That's why they have, you know, sometimes Gudis playing with them. They have a defensive partner with them. Uh, and, and, you know, utilize them on the power play. You don't see them a lot in a late tight game when you're, when you're uh, you know, protecting the lead. And so, the, you know, the team is kind of showing you, look, he's an offensive defenseman. He is what he is. You know, everybody wants to Bobby Orr out there, a guy to be great on both ends, or Jenny Potvac. And there just right. aren't that many guys that are great you know, Victor Hedman's one of them, probably great on both ends. Uh, you know, unbelievable. Ekblad's developing, obviously more even offensive than, than even defensive, but he's become a stellar stud defenseman. And Yandel is what he is. He's, he gives you a quarterback. That's why he's making all the money, too. Uh, he's paid to put up points and lead the offense, make a good first pass, and you hope that he can hold his own defensively. I think he has this year uh, for the most part. The Panthers have tightened it up a little bit, and they've added some defensive players. So they're not just, you know, last year they had just too many guys who can skate a little bit, they can move the puck a little bit, but inside their own blue line there was no toughness, and you need some toughness. You bring up a great point there, Minervini, about about uh, everybody wanting every player to be Bobby Orr. I mean, it just, does, it just doesn't exist. In other words, even in other, other walks of life, other professions at the office, not every person in the office is good at everything, right? They have certain unique skills, and then a good coach of a team is going to, how do you utilize what Keith does really well? How do you use what Ratko does really well and then put it into a team? But, you know, that type of player, <laughs> they're expecting a player to be superstar offensively, superstar defensively. Those guys are yeah. few and far between. There may be there a couple are. of those entire league. Absolutely. There's a, you know, there's a handful of these guys who are great at both ends. And, uh, you know, the handle, look, they're not playing them just. Barkey's one of them. Barkey's one of those guys. Barkey is one of them. And that's why he's considered one of the best in the league, you know, in his position. And certainly in the top three to five uh, at a a centerman in the the National Hockey League, he may even get some heart trophy consideration. Uh, He may not put up the gaudy numbers that Dreisaitl and and, uh, Connor McDavid do, or maybe Austin Matthews in the goal territory. But ask anybody who plays against him, you need to play like that. He's the number one center. 
I will be interested to see what they do when the trade deadline comes around. You always add when you're in a good position, like the Panthers mm-hmm. are in, and I, and I think that'll be the case. Uh, but uh, we'll see. Well, it's been an exciting season. Think- I was encouraged by the game the other day. I know it's funny to say people see a 5-3, it was an empty netter. I thought they outplayed Tampa by, by a pretty large margin in that game. Yeah. No, no, they did play well. That was an incredible game, back and forth. And you know, those are the that's the reigning champions. Uh, I think the I think you know, and and also the Panthers had two goals disallowed. There was one yes. was the offside, which is a good call. The other one was the the goal was sitting underneath the goalie. It was probably in, but they didn't have the definitive proof on the video. So you had yeah, those tough. two things. And then on on the other side of the coin, um, the Lightning didn't play their number one goalie that won eleven straight. And Ryan McDonough on defense, one of their better defensemen, got hurt. So the Panthers caught a couple breaks, lost a couple breaks. But you're right. Yeah. They, they played third and four games. Both teams were playing three and four games. I agree. I agree. Uh, they, you know, it was, a, it was a day where you could catch the lightning, too, I think. And that's the shame of not getting a point or even two out of it. Because when you outplay the lightning, you got to win that game. Because right. they're going to outplay you, too. And they're going to win their, their game when they outplay you. You have to win the game when they when you outplay the other team by a pretty large measure. But if you get a little sloppy, like you know, hockey's a different sport than others, and you give up a quick goal or two that that really they didn't earn too much, you know, some good skating. I'm not taking away from them. I'm just saying um, it was a little lax defensively in a couple of spots, and that was the difference in the game. But you know, you brought up the the uh, the offside call. Now I am not an advocate for the rape replay on the offside because most of the time it has nothing to do with the play. The guy's mm-hmm. a, a fraction, a fractional, marginal, you know, millimeter over the line. He's moving his foot back, and it, and the plays mm-hmm. on the other side of the ice. But the one the other day is why you do have the rule is that was clearly outside the blue line, and it directly led to the goal. I mm-hmm. would have some kind of language to change that. Whereas in that case, absolutely, if it's something that leads to a goal, whether it's in five seconds, whatever, if it, have the referee judgment. I hate the microscopic one where you basically, if you give up the goal, you get a cheap goal back or vice I versa. I agree with you. I mean, I think I penalties in general should be something egregious. And if not, then stay out of the way if you're a referee in any sport. So uh, something like that, ticky tag, I, I agree. But they have to change the directive to the officials because right now that's benefited the Panthers this year too. I'm sure they've taken goals off Absolutely. the board. Absolutely. So, so yeah. it, it has to be a rule change where the, the the referees. But in general, I don't. I just don't think referees are there to 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 call something well, like that. They're there to uh, correct an egregious. You know, somebody is 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 in basketball. If you're holding the guy back and you're getting unfair advantage, well, that's where the referee stays in. If not, yeah. But remember, Walter, they changed the rules because there was too much clutching and grabbing going on in the NHL and mm-hmm. slowing the game down. So that that mm-hmm. was a good change. I mean, if guy. Chips True. the puck by you. You can't hit him anymore. That's interference. Right. You, you just can't. And as well, you probably know, I'm, I'm an amateur referee here. I, do, I referee uh, still around the leagues uh, here in South Florida. I enjoy it. I, I, I'm kind of a look into the rule book. And, a, you know, you have to, to do these games. You have to really know the rules. And they're very similar in USA Hockey and NHL. But, uh, and not only that, the power play adds some excitement to a hockey game because of the nature yeah. of taking a guy off the field, unlike other sports except I guess soccer in, in a situation with a, a red card um, you know, or is it red card? They come off you know, late or late. Yeah. The red card. Yeah. Come, yeah. yeah come but off it, the field. It, it, with 11 people on the field, it's not, you can't even compare it, but I, I agree. With no, you. it's different, but you know what I'm saying for, for hockey, a power play is, is sometimes the way to get back in the game. It's exciting and it keeps you honest. Uh, you, you know, you can't get away with a cheap penalty anymore because they'll call it and, and you'll, and you'll pay the price for Panthers. Mm-hmm. One scored two power play goals and didn't win the game the other day. Right. Yeah. What you mentioned about taking away the clutching and grabbing is a great point, Craig, because um, that's why I love overtime. Uh, what the, the, the three on three, I mean, that is so exciting. You can't take your eyes off the screen or off the ice because it is it, there. Those guys are flying. There's so much open ice. I mean, I would love to see more open ice like that, to be honest. And the game is the game. Uh, but overtime is is fantastic. I know they don't do that in the in the playoffs, but I I, I don't know right. about you, but that's isn't that the most exciting I, thing? I, I like it. Yet? However, I think they need to tweak it. And I heard somebody else say this. This is not my own take on it, but I agree with it. And that is, um, there's too many times where it's a little Disney on ice ish to me. And nothing. And by the way, they're coming to the BBT Disney on Ice this weekend. Nothing against good, Disney good, on Ice. Good plug. What a professional. What a professional. <laughs> they'll be here. They'll be here starting the 25th. 
But no, th- th- what I'm saying is there's too much circling, throw it back to the goalie. Somebody mentioned this, and I think it's a good point. To, maybe you, you work this or massage this, but that once you get the puck in the zone, you can't, without pressure, bring it out to the neutral ice or maybe at least mm-hmm. beyond the center line or something because they circle back and, and they just keep the puck and it, you it's know, it becomes a game thing. of keep away. Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. like that rule, that part where they can circle out of the zone and everybody comes out and you reach and you change and they can't. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're getting the ticky tack here with rules, but um, I, that's one you. thing I don't like to see. I usually disagree with people, but you're, you know, you're so smart. I can't disagree with you too much so far, <laughs> Mervini, but uh, I'm not smart. I'm just, let I just me ask you this eight. one other uh, Panthers question. Uh, yeah. If you, if you had, if you had your wish list, and bring back a player, you know, recent guy. I'm not talking about, you know, Yager, or, you know, but but somebody that they that they uh, didn't re-sign or traded. Here's the list of guys: Vinny Trocheck, that's kind of my my favorite guy. You had Hoffman with what he could do as a goal scorer when they let go of Jonathan Marchessault or Daddy Evgeny Dadnoff. Who who uh, who's a guy that you wish, man? I wish we, or maybe somebody I didn't mention that you wish we still had that guy. Um. Let me think about that one. How about Ed Jovanovski? I like stuff you, like you No, <laughs> no, my man Ed Jovanovski. No, uh, I I would probably go. I, you know, I, I didn't like the move letting Marsha so go. I understand there was a reason mm-hmm. Riley Smith's contract and so Expansion on. So draft, yeah. More to it, but right now for this team, I think I would probably say Trocheck, because yeah. when Trocheck lost the power play time. I think he lost a lot of his game here, and on top of that, he wasn't overly healthy. So the combination of that was not was not fruitful for his game. He really wasn't earning his money here. I understand what they were looking at. Uh, he mm-hmm. wasn't. He wasn't playing great. Uh, but don't forget, they, they brought Hoffman in, so he was off the number one power play, and all of a sudden he's not getting the looks, he's not getting the goals. And now he's he's been back to, he says, 100% health, and he's been great with Carolina, although he's out right now. Um, he's been great on the power play, and the Panthers could use, to me, not necessarily a body type like Trocek, but I think they need another centerman, uh, yeah. more of a horse, if you will. And I think that's a move. And I, I'm not speaking from talking to anybody with the Panthers. I'm just talking to me, watching the games. I think they're going to need a defensive type horse, maybe a veteran for the playoff run. And, and maybe it's another D2 to, to just help them a little bit uh, because they're going to play some really good teams. They're going to run into either Carolina, Tampa Bay, or both. Yeah, and, and and I agree. And Trocek has stuck it to the Panthers. Seems like every time they play Carolina, I think he scored. Uh, he's done a good job. Yes, he has. He's, he's yeah, a I think goal he's, scorer. I think this year he scored 93 goals against the Panthers. That might be a slight exaggeration. You'll have to check <laughs> me on that. My producer Frankie yeah. will uh, double check that number. Hey, uh, Craig, I got a couple more minutes with you. I want. I know you also. You're the host of the Marlins game. Do a great job on that. So let me ask you a question or two about that. And I guess. The main question I wanted to get your your thoughts on is they have this um, this this youth movement, right? The latest incarnation thereof, and traded away a lot of veterans, got a lot of got a, a lot of young players and you know high draft picks and everything. But you look at the the way, and I don't know if you're in baseball mode just yet because you're covering a a, a team that looks right. like it's headed for the playoffs. But when I was looking at it last night and it seemed like every guy that's the starter is at least 27. Some of them are, are, you know, 30, whatever. Um, only maybe at second base with Isan Diaz battling Jazz Chisholm, the rest of the yeah. starting eight, um, they're all veteran guys. So my question is, do you feel, is the youth movement a bit disappointing so far when you look at that lineup? When you look at, I mean, they, they already sent down Monte Harrison, uh, Jesus Sanchez is not gonna, not going to make this club, and you go up and down the list. I mean, it's going to make for a pretty nice Triple A team, but our fans, um, you know, is it all right for them to feel a little bit disappointed in in this youth movement? You know, I, I don't think so. I mean, they made these moves to bring these guys in. They're not on long term deals. These are mostly short term type deals. So a year here, a year there. I mean, mm-hmm. are you upset they brought in Starling Marte? You know, no. are, are you are you ticked that uh, Dickerson's your left fielder or or mm. that they brought in Duval? I mean, I kind of would is, like to this, see to answer that question. I would kind of like to yeah, see. Yeah, I would love to Harrison. see these other guys kill it. I, I, I get what you're saying. You'd love to see somebody come in and hit 15 homers in spring training and and totally work his way in the club where you can't. But if that wasn't the case, it hasn't been the case. Uh, 
Brinson's shown improvement, uh, but you know, you you see the way the games have gone. So I, I no, I don't think so. I think you have guys like Bladé down in the minors still, and mm-hmm. and, the, and this is no disrespect to any of these guys. Most guys don't come up and just rake. It just doesn't. We certainly haven't seen it since probably, you know, I'm just a, Cabrera was one of those guys, right? But mm-hmm. you don't see it often. You do see it sometimes with other teams. You see the Braves bring these guys up, and you're like, why can't we get a guy like that? <laughs> but mm-hmm. the Panthers, the, the Marlins seem to get yeah, like, like, guys like, like Soto with the, with the Nationals or. Okay, yeah, like absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, but the Marlins seem to bring up the guys in the pitching rotation that could do that right. from, from uh, Jose to Sixto to the guys in the Alcantara with the trade. A young young pitcher, and and really, if you're going to pick one or the other, uh, I, I take the pitching. I give me the pitching studs. I can add the pieces to the offense to make it better. I can bring in Marte. I can bring in Duvall for a year or two. Maybe somebody then bumps up. Somebody in Carnacion goes crazy in the minors. Monty Harrison figures it all out. Uh, I like what you saw with the the center fielder last year, the speedy center fielder. Uh, he did a great job. I thought when he came up that we hadn't seen before. I thought he, I thought he fit actually. I like to see him get up there a little bit. It, it helped when they had the DH. So, uh, Garrett Cooper's been a nice younger piece. That you know he's not as young now. I understand, but he doesn't have a long resume. Um, so I, I like the fact that they've added in some of the veterans. You feel a little good about that in terms of offense. And man, if this young pitching can keep improving, and they've got more depth in pitching certainly than hitting mm-hmm. in the minors, uh, th- th- you're going to have to go through a tough rotation to beat the Marlins. And if yeah. you don't have good pitching, I don't care how good your hitting is, and I know you hear this a lot, you're not going to win. So I'd rather go about it this way. I agree. I would hope somebody would jump up and grab it, and right now it hasn't, it hasn't really materialized yet from the young – but some of these guys haven't been in the minors too much. I mean, Monty Harrison didn't get to play much last year. Neither did most of the guys. So that really hurt, I think, the development of the offense. Hey, uh, Frankie Fernandez, my producer, wouldn't you agree? This has been the most professional segment I've ever done. It's two New York-born uh, guys transplanted to South Florida. I mean, uh, this has been the most professional I've ever sounded on radio, I think. It's about time <laughs> we have some professionalism around here. It's about, it's about time. time. You didn't even ask me about my wrestling shoot yesterday there. It was unbelievable. You get 30 seconds to promote your rest. Go ahead, talk about your well, wrestling. No, it's, over. Got- it's over now, but we, it was a fun thing with Cowboy Bob Orton from pe- people who may remember this 80s wrestling group put us together. I actually flew to New, in New Jersey for a quick day and did, did sign audit. Would you believe this? People wanted a Craig the George autograph. We could talk about that another day, but it was a neat to hook up. Yeah, Diddy, my, my love for professional wrestling equals your love for Casey and the Sunshine, man. I think this is like, like, it's kind of like a... <laughs> Well, you're, other than you're that, missing something. Other than that, we're, like, uh, we're, we're, we're best buddies. But, man, hey, it's you're an honor to have you on. You're, you're, you're tremendous at what you do, man. You're the best, and you're such a nice person. People don't know what are really – and I'm saying that genuinely. I know we joke around. You're really such a genuine, oh, nice you. person. Thank you. And, and I appreciate thank you. Thank you. I'm glad we finally been able to come on the show. Thank you. Absolutely, man. And we'll be right back with David Ovalle, the crime reporter from the Miami Herald, right after this. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Hey, everybody. This is John Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls. Giving a big shout-out to Slam Radio, the only student-run radio station that's all national. Awesome, guys. Congratulations. Now we're back with Front Page 305 on Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? Welcome back to the Front Page. This is your host, Walter Villa, and I play that song because my next guest is the great David Ovalle. He's a crime reporter. He's been working for the Miami Herald since 2002. David, welcome to the Front Page, brother. Walter, how are you? It's It's good to be on. Absolutely, man. Thanks for doing this. So how did you become a crime reporter? Tell me the, uh, the, the quick of it. Well, actually, uh, funny enough, I actually started out at the newspaper working in sports, if you can believe it, and uh, had uh, one Walter Villa as one of my editors in sports, <laughs> but um, kind of caught the news bug. I had done a little bit of an internship with, um, with the news department before I went over there, and I just did really well. I decided I wanted to do something that was a little more impactful than just uh, than just uh, chasing around athletes and writing uh, you know game stories and stuff. So 
I moved over to news and it's sort of uh, just been a whirlwind ever since, almost 20 years. No, awesome, dude. No, of course. I remember working with you and we've stayed in touch. Um, so was it your idea or explain a little bit more? Or was it happenstance? Or like, how, how did that happen? You started out, you're a sports guy, you're a sports fan. And then what was the trigger that made you switch over? Um, you know what I realized, and, and, and I'm sure a lot of your, your readers will, uh, your listeners will kind of recognize that, you know, right around that, the 2002, 2003, you know, the sports media landscape was changing a lot. There was, you know, um, a lot of, you know, lots sort of online stuff and blogs are starting to come in and then, you know, social media would be a few years after that. And so I kind of saw the way it was going, like, like, I don't know, it just felt kind of silly, like writing about you know, fighting other, you know, media outlets over like the most inconsequential scoops, right? It's like, you're like, oh my God, you know, uh, 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 Jason Taylor has a sprained ankle and won't practice, you know? And it was just like, I don't know, it seemed kind of silly. And, and when I was interning in Metro for a few, uh, for a few months before I went over to sports, I don't know, just the, the adrenaline rush of big breaking news and working in an exciting city like Miami just caught my attention more. And I just wanted to do something a little more impactful. No, that's cool. I, I guess I'm very blessed in what I do is as, you know, obviously I was a former Miami Herald editor, but for many years now as a freelance writer, and I get to do a lot of long form stories. I get to do just so many cool stories that are not what you were referring to, but that what that type of journalism that you say, Jason Taylor might have a, a, a swollen pinky. I, I know that is out there and it exists, but I get to do, I mean, just as an example, David, uh, recently I wrote about on for D one baseball.com. I wrote about the guy from university of New Orleans. He's actually, he went to high school down here and last year he, he became an American citizen and, he went to the, the day he became an American citizen, they had a game. And then one of the parents of another player brought this huge American flag. They won the game. They took the photo on the field with him and his first days in American. They won, you know, it's just a really cool story. And I can tell you yeah. hundreds of them that I've done. So I, I guess I feel pretty fortunate, but I, and, and within sports, I've written about, you know, life and death issues. I've written about illnesses. There there's the real world comes into sports. It's not just games. Yeah. But I, but I feel you what you're saying that you wanted to do something more impactful and you certainly have. Um, tell you us know, that what, reminds what you... me, Walter, Walter, that reminds me a story you assigned me to do, which is one of my favorite that I did in sports was a really nice feature on a young kid who played, I think at Killian high who was on the football team and he was deaf. And sort of, we did this whole thing where we, we followed him around for like days and days just awesome. writing about the experience of, of being a deaf football player and a starter and, and you know, halfway decent player too. Um, those are the kinds of things that I, I still love about sports. Um, the, the daily grind, you know, churning out the little blurbs about, you know, whatever kind of silly stuff. Um, that, that's what I think. I it just, it just seemed uh, yeah. a little bit too, uh, too, too much of a grind, you know? It is interesting because when LeBron was here four years in a row at the NBA Finals, I was at all those games. And people from the outside that are not journalists, goes, man, you get to go to the Heat games and you cover LeBron James. And, it, and yeah, I mean, I guess it was cool. I'm mentioning it now. It's something I can say that I did. But it, from, a, from a journalistic, from a point of view of an artist, of me writing a story, those were never stories that I'd have my mother read. My beloved mother, shout out to Berenice. And because... Yeah, the, the heat won or heat lost, whatever. But I would many times have her read those other types of stories. I'm writing a book now about uh, the Miami mission to cure the homeless, those types of things, because they're people stories. They're maybe a lot of times they're having something to do with sports, but they're about people. And and those, and I agree, those are the things that are more impactful. But it's funny from from the outside, people just, oh, you got you got to go to the heat games, and that's what they care about. And most of the time, when you're in your heat game, you're not even watching the game because you have your, you know, your 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 writing and you're busy you know, looking stuff up, and you're missing a lot of the stuff that people are are watching. So it's kind of funny. I, I want to know, David, what was the first big story on the on the police uh, uh, blotter that you got that maybe you thought was a breakthrough? Like, man, the first one. I'm really proud of the work I did in this one. And and I guess the second part of that question is when you're doing you're doing your police uh, reporting are sometimes you get stuff that even the police doesn't know about? Like, in other words, maybe you uh, interviewed somebody and you got, you kind of advanced a storyline that maybe even the police hadn't gotten to yet. Does that happen? 
Oh, yeah. Well, let me answer the second part first. Yeah, that happens all the time where we interview a witness where, where uh, let's just say, in a big murder that the cops hadn't found yet or, um, mm-hmm. or you know, you, you happen to interview some ancillary character in the background that the prosecutors are like, oh, man, we, we, should, uh, we should probably get that, you know. Um, actually, not too long ago, I, uh, I, I did a story. I, I did a story on this uh, teacher who, uh, down at South Data High, who was accused of, of having sex with an underage student over many months inside his classroom. Um, he was like in his 70s, and she was like, you know, 16 or something. Um, and after I did that story, another victim from the 80s actually reached out to me, um, and I said, you know, and I did. I interviewed her, and I, I ended up doing a story. Um, but, uh, you know, I said, you know, you should call over to the prosecutors or the st- uh, the police. And so they ended up, you know, after the fact talking to her. So a lot of times, you know, it's just, it's just kind of, you know, yeah, it's what happens is the nature of the beast. And a lot of times our coverage will, will end up spurring things along. I mean, we've written stories on some sort of corruption scandal or something like that, um, where we uncover it first and the police departments look at it and they're like, oh, huh, we should look into that. And do people get mad at you Has, and, um, or how often does that happen? And can you give an example of what something that you wrote? Because that's another thing about my personality. I don't like people getting mad at me. So I wouldn't be good at your job. I want people to, uh, my, my, my buddy and my colleague, Manny Navarro says, I'm Walt Disney. I want a happy ending to every story. I don't really want people, uh, you know, pissed off at me. How often does that happen? Uh, yeah, you know, it happens, it happens a lot. And, and a lot of times it's a little bit more of like killing the messenger kind of thing. You know, right. like I'll give you an example. I wrote about a, a doctor in Miami Springs, um, that was arrested. Uh, she's a, uh, an Anglo woman and got arrested for allegedly attacking a Hispanic man at Publix in Hialeah of all places. Um, for, right. uh, and she got arrested under, under the hate crime, um, you know, under a portion of the law that delineates hate crimes. Because, um, you know, it turned this sort of to a political argument and uh, in, the, in the parking lot and she starts yelling, you know, sort of these racial slurs at him. We should send you back to your country, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then and then um, so that story, you know, we posted it. I mean, I didn't arrest her. This, I mean, I didn't find out about it until, okay. till, you know, the day after the arrest. But, uh, you know, sort of, you know, all the, the people who maybe are a little bit more aligned with her views or just or know her and think that she's a nice person are just slamming me with messages and the Herald with messages about how nice she is and how could we write this. And we're just, the you know, the liberal media, you know, attacking right. uh, this poor right. doctor. And, you know, so it's a little bit of killing the messenger. It's like, well, you know, Hialeah police arrested her, not me. But look, you get used to it. You get a little bit of a thick skin. Um, when you've done right. this for, for so long. And, and at the end of the day, you know, as long as you dot your I's and cross your T's and try to get everything as as uh, as uh, well-balanced and fair as possible, you know, that yeah. you're fine. A couple minutes uh, we have remaining with David Ovaya, the great crime uh, beat reporter for the Miami Herald. Do, do, along those lines, so you don't get depressed, because the other thing, if I were to do this gig that you're, you're doing, I would just murder crime every day all day it would get to you know mentally draining you don't feel that uh no and i think that's par- partially i think in the beginning things used to affect me more you know especially if it's like uh homicides involving kids or um you know someone um that maybe you can have some sort of emotional uh you know um sort of a uh, relationship where you can kind of uh, you know you know, you sort of relate to them, but no, I think after a while you sort of learn to, to kind of put it in a box and, and not, you know, not uh, let it affect you too much. Cause otherwise then, you know, you would just be ag- agonizing, you know, every day, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't, I, I, I kind of think maybe you just build up calluses after a while and maybe that's not a good thing. You know, maybe that's sometimes that, you know, I've been accused of being a little bit too robotic sometimes by my own family. So <laughs> you never know. <laughs> That's that sounds like a whole side issue. Now, let me ask you. I know you don't cover this case, but I wonder if you had. I want to ask you about two cases that you didn't cover, and and they've been in the news lately. See if you have any thoughts. One is Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, interesting because uh, he wants out of Houston Tech uh, Texans. He wants to get traded, a great quarterback, and then all of a sudden there there's just out of the woodwork all these uh, cases of where I guess he was getting a massage and uh, stuff happened uh, allegedly. Uh, any thoughts on on that case and what that did that seem like uh, you know contrived or any thoughts? 
Well, I think the main thing people need to realize is that those are civil allegations, right? So it's a much different context than if these were criminal allegations, right? As of right now, there's no, he's not facing any kind of jail time or anything like that. So, you know, these are sort of civil complaints. Now, of course, it's a lot of them, right? I think what the count right. was last, last was, was like at 13 or something. So, the man, is, the, man you know, at the very least is getting a whole lot of massages. Yes, yes, that it's it is very unusual. Um, so I think the important thing to watch is, you know, look, civil suits get filed all the time. A lot of civil suits get filed against athletes. I've written about a ton of them, you know, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, Warren Sapp on the beach, whether it's, you know, um, God, I've written about so many uh, lawsuits who have been filed against against athletes. And, a lot, and sometimes they turn out to be completely bogus. Um, and other times they don't, you know, other times they get settled and go away and you don't really even hear about them anymore. So be curious to see, I think the key thing will be to see if, if this turns into a criminal investigation, whether, you know, any of this stuff, um, comes to the attention of police. And if these victims cooperate with the police, um, with the police agencies in, in Texas and, and whether it could, uh, possibly turn into criminal. Cause really that's, that's going to be the, the, uh, the major thing for that could impact, um, you know, his career and also, you know, seeking justice for, for these victims. Now, the last question, because as it turns out, I talk way too much and I'm running long here and I'm having such a good time with uh, both of my guests uh, so far today. David, you've been great. So this is a case I'm very curious about. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, I know you didn't report on this, but the Herald did, I think, breakthrough work. Who was the reporter on the Herald that was the main person on this? I want to say so Jim the main Brown? reporter was... Yeah, it's Julie Brown, and what she did. So, so the Epstein stuff and the, the details of the lenient plea deal that he got, and a lot of the stuff, the allegations, a lot of the stuff had been covered back when it happened in real time and afterward. And what Julie did with with sort of um, highlighting uh, what really elevated the story was was she was really able to humanize the victims, right? And there had been very little written about the actual victims and the experiences they went through and everything that, um, that they suffered uh, and sort of the behind the scenes of, of the, uh, of the allegations against Epstein. And so what she did was, was really capture that and get these people to talk and, and get them on the record and sort of humanize what had mostly just been sort of more of a legal type story before. And, and it worked and it really did shed light on this. And I really do think it played an integral role in getting yeah. the prosecutors in New York to, to charge Epstein and others in his orbit. And I want to see what, I guess it's the great unknown, what happens with Maxwell and what happens with everything that she knows about a lot of very important people. I guess that that's going to be remain to be seen, but I got to run. I got to get to a commercial to my next guest. David, thanks for coming on. We'll be right back with Matthew Nelson of the Florida State Seminoles right after this. Hey, look what I found. A radio. Radio. This is Sirius XM 145 Slam Radio. Yo, this is K9 and you're listening to Slam Radio Sirius XM 145. And now we're back with Front Page 305. On Sirius XM 145, Slam Radio. All right, welcome back to Front Page 305. This is Walter Villa, your host. And that's the kind of welcome I give to Matthew Nelson. Down here, deep, deep, deep in hurricane country. We give him the tomahawk chop because he deserves it. We'll get to Matthew in a second. I also want to bring in my co-host for this segment, Josh White, who covers the hurricanes for WVUM. And he also does stuff for ACC Network. Josh, thanks for doing this, brother. Absolutely, Walter. It's always fun to be on. All right. It will sound a little more animated. That sounded, that sounded depressing, dude. Come on. Pep it up a little bit, man. Come on. <laughs> hey, uh, Matthew, are you there? Welcome to the front page, man. Hey, how's it going? Hey, congratulations. We'll have Josh ask you a question. He was there for all the games. I'm sure he has something important to say, but um, I, I just want to congratulate you for that was an incredible series. Uh, I don't know what the combined score, but I think it was 50,000 and nothing. Uh, Seminoles crushed the Hurricanes. Um, so my first question is, after beating the Gator uh, earlier in the week and then sweeping the Canes as badly as you did, are you playing, uh, who's next? The Miami Marlins, Tampa Bay Rays? <laughs> I mean, that would be a pretty cool matchup if we got to play a pro team, but uh, I don't think it'd be a fair advantage with metal wood bats for us and them, but... No, we got uh, UCF tomorrow, and we got Wake Forest this weekend. 
What, um, Matthew, what's been the key? Because that Pittsburgh series you got swept by, Pittsburgh is not really known as a traditional baseball power. Um, you got swept. And then since then, I think you're eight and two, including five in a row. What, what's been the key that you can put your finger on how you guys have turned this around so beautifully? You know, it's, it's really funny you say that at the beginning with uh, Pittsburgh not really being a powerhouse or talked about like that. But I think they're like 13 or t in, in the top 15 or top 20 in the country right now. And mm -hmm. Mike Bell has really turned that program around. And they're a really good ball club. That I mean, they went down to Georgia Tech and took two of three from Georgia Tech. And I think they just took two of three from Virginia, too. But, mm -hmm. I mean, they're a really good ball club. And, you know, I think what turned around was, you know, we – should have and we definitely could have beaten Pitt and it's more so the fact that we just needed to wake up a little bit and I think guys were still playing under the impression that you know we're, we're one of the best teams in the country we're this we're that you know it's just going to come they didn't I feel like some guys didn't realize that they actually needed to go out there and do more than what they were doing and they really showed this week and that guys are like you know what let's just stop caring about where we're at who we are and just let's just go play let's have fun and that's what we did. Go ahead, Josh. Matt, you mentioned just kind of the streak that you guys have been on. Walter said eight of the last ten. I, I want to focus in on those last five that you guys have won. The offense seems to be clicking into another gear. You've hit uh, four home runs in the last five games. Are you seeing the ball like a beach ball, or, or what's the difference? Why are you guys putting up so many runs right now? I want to say it's confidence. Uh, guys are going up there. they got positive attitudes. We have positive vibes in the dugout. I want to say everybody's mentally confident right now from what it seems like. Guys are, you know, we have each other's back, whether you're getting in for a pitch hit, whether you go up there to lay down a sacrifice bunt or whatever it is, it's, we're, we're all in, we're all together. We're doing it to win games, and we don't even care about, you know, stats or anything like that. I know you just mentioned, you know, four home runs or anything like that, but, I mean, yeah, I'm seeing the ball well, but you see the ball well when you load early, and that just goes for everything or everybody else too, you know? Hey, Matt, um, have you done a lot of um, weight room work and maybe give me some specifics on what you've done? Because last year you hit one homer. Now you have seven and 15. I was talking to a couple. I was talking to your coach and and also Robbie Martin today said the, they started to see that in the fall. Robbie Martin said he saw that in the fall. I think he hit eight or nine in scrimmages in the fall. So did you just, uh, I don't know, drink some uh, muscle milk or uh, what did you do in the uh, to get stronger and to see the, the ball jumping off the bat like it is this year? <laughs> yeah, I found a treadmill is what happened. Last, <laughs> uh, last spring, I was around 200, 210, and I was a little dumpy looking. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I thought I, I thought I was in a good place, and then COVID happened, and I was like, oh, well, this sucks. And then I kind of looked back, and I was like, you know, I could shed a few pounds. So I ended up going over to Diesel Fitness over in Tampa, got right with those guys. And they got me down to 185. They said, what's your goal? I said, I just want to be as as, as athletic as possible. And they said, so you just want to be shredded. I was like, I mean, if you can get me that, awesome. But I just want to be healthy and I want to be athletic. <laughs> they got me down to 185, came back up to school in fall, got back on it with our training coach, stick to a, um, you know, a health regimen and eating and nutrition and just got back in the weight room and doing what we were doing. And he got me back up to 200, but it was a different 200 pounds. Right. And it's just more so the fact of I'm more athletic than I was before. I, I'm not as dumpy looking as before. Uh, I feel better mentally. I'm more prepared and physically. I just, I just feel great. So I want to say that's the biggest thing is just losing the weight and put it back on in the right way instead of just, you know, throwing yeah. on weight. So, so, Matthew, do you find yourself, your shirt just happens to be off all the time? You're wearing sleeveless shirts. I mean, you showing, you showing your body off now around campus in Tallahassee or what? <laughs> no, I don't do that because I, uh, I got a really bad farmer's tan from practice and games. So I don't tend to show off the arms too much unless it's in the, in the weight room here at the field or in the locker room. But I guess you could say so. Go ahead, Josh. A lot of guys, Matt, they're – third year when they're draft eligible, you know, you see them get off to slow starts because, you know, all the pressure that's surrounding, you're off to, you know, the opposite, you're off to a great start, you know, all the changes you've made, all, all the work you've put in. Uh, how do you stay, you know, kind of block that all out and, and stay focused on the goal at hand? So other than, you know, like I said, being more physically there and, you know, trying to be the best that I can physically, I've also done a lot of studying on my own of being, 
you know, mentally there and optimistic and always trying to find the brighter side of things and always telling myself, you know, I'm the best hitter in the country. I'm the best hitter in the country. And it's not me just saying that. It's me really believing that in myself, even if other people don't believe it. And that's one thing that me preaches to us is, you know, people are going to doubt us, but we know who we are. And we really have to believe who we are in order to play as we know. And that showed this weekend is what our confidence level can do and just what the mind of a human brain can do when everybody or just one person buys into that mindset and really believes it. And for me, that's what I've been buying into for just myself, no matter if I'm over three with a hat trick or I'm over four with a gold sombrero or whatever it is. You know, I'm still in the box every single bat telling myself I'm the best hitter in the country no matter what the outcome is, because if you really buy into it, you know, results are going to happen. So now that that's pretty interesting. Uh, Matthew, do you ever, I know that's an, I'm assuming that's an internal message, but do you ever look in the mirror because there used to be a skit on Saturday night live about this. Do you ever seriously though, do you ever look in the mirror and say, I'm one of, I'm the best hitter. In the, do you do it? Is it that outward or is it only internal? No, it's, it's outward too. Like sometimes I'll wake up in the mirror or I'll wake up in the morning, I'm sorry, <laughs> and I'll look in the mirror and, you know, I'll look at myself and I'll tell myself, you know, I'm the best player in the country. Or I'll look at myself and I'll tell myself that I look good or I'll tell myself, like, I will compliment myself just so that way I'm ready for the day instead of looking at something and pointing out flaws because you wake up in the morning and say you automatically put that negative mindset in your head. You're like, ooh, I have this or ooh, I'm looking a little pudgy today or something like that you're starting to put negative thoughts in your head and that's just how your day's starting off. Instead of just waking up, enjoying a nice cup of coffee or eating breakfast or looking in the mirror and just giving yourself some self-love and just going out there and being optimistic and picking guys up and just trying to relay that message too. Ahead, Matt, your first, your, your first year at Florida State, you played under 11. Now you're playing under Meat, Mike Martin Jr., what are the differences you see between the two? And then I also know you got to work uh, with the late Roy Holiday in high school. What, what was that experience like as well? Yeah. Um, so between me and 11, to be honest with you, there's not really that much of a difference. They, they are very similar in many ways. And sometimes me will say some things and it will sound like 11 was speaking, which is very funny. Um, <laughs> but otherwise I would say we, we're, we play a little bit more upbeat with a little more fast tempo we play with a little bit more energy or actually say a lot more energy. And that's stuff that meat really preaches. Um, as to Roy though, that, that was just something, you know, uh, I didn't take for granted for, with, uh, with that time. When I was 12 years old, I actually had met Roy Halliday and it was during spring training down at the Phillies. And then coincidentally in high school, his son came in, he was a great below me. His son came in, his freshman year, Roy was there. I was like, oh, my gosh, that's Roy Halladay. Still thinking he's, you know, Roy Halladay, the Hall of Famer pitcher, Roy Halladay. And then he became one of our pitching coaches, and I really got to know him and his son and his family and started going over to the house and hanging out with them with Braden and Ryan and Brandy and all those people. And they just became like a family to me. Those guys, they're, they're awesome. They treated me right, and they still do. But, you know, Roy was second to none. He was one of the best people I've ever met. By the way, Josh. Yeah, those lessons you learned from, you know, interacting with Roy and interacting with his family, have you taken those, you know, to kind of manage this Florida State pitching staff? You guys are top in the ACC right now. How has that kind of translated into, you know, all these years later? Yeah, he, there was one time where, you know, some, with a lot of our pitchers back in high school, they would, you know, need a little pick me up or, you know, somebody to get in their butt a little bit, spark a little fire in them. And sometimes I would do that with guys they would react differently. And I didn't realize that at the time. And he pulled me aside one day and said, Hey, you know, we're all different. I said, yeah. He goes, well, why are you talking to everybody the same? I said, because we're one team. We're, we're all the same. Like we all want the same goal. He goes, yeah, but everybody's coached differently. And then that's when it really hit me. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, I never thought about it. Cause I do like to be coached differently than other people. Sometimes I like, Hey, it's okay. Or sometimes I like, Hey, you know, spark a little fire in me. So he was, he was just teaching, you know, read the situation, get the nonverbal cues from, you know, just not your teammates, but the whole situation, the play, the pace of the game, what ending it is, the score, and go about your business that way and really take it in. That's something that stuck with me for a while. You know, it's funny about that. Going back to the self-affirmation, our producer, Frankie Fernandez, he tells me all the time that he's the best producer out there. He, you know, so that maybe that's working. That's why he's, uh, he's the man back there. But, uh, 
I wanted to ask you, uh, Matthew, about one of your teammates, about Parker Messick. Um, I was talking to Robbie Martin today. He said that it wasn't up until like a couple of weeks ago that he even knew the kid could hit. What about you? Did you know he was uh, uh, such a fierce hitter? <laughs> yeah, back in high school, because he's from the Tampa Bay area, and I don't know if Robbie really knew Parker from out of high school, but I knew of Parker. Uh, he played in the same travel ball organization with me with a couple of guys from my team uh, that were on the younger team. So they had told me about it before. I knew Parker had left, I think it's Hammock Stadium or whatever the spring training site is for the Twins down in Fort Myers. They were playing in the state semifinal. And Parker Messick actually hit a ball out of the stadium during that game. So I know he could swing it a little bit. But uh, he came up to me at practice about two weeks ago. I was like, hey, I think I'm going to go hit with you in the cage. I was like, you better go make sure that's okay with me. He asked me, and he said it's okay, and we went and we hit in the cage, and we were just having fun, and he, you could tell he was really antsy and really excited. I just told him, I was like, hey, man, just slow down and just find the barrel with the ball, and then all of a sudden he was just unloading on balls in the cage, and that's when I walked <laughs> out to me and I said, dude, do you need to put that guy either in the lineup or in BP because he can hit a ball? And oddly you enough, told, you told me that? In the tech, he goes, Zappo Taco. <laughs> What's that? You told, you, you told me that you should put him in the lineup? Oh, we walked out of the cage, and I looked at me, and I was like, you got to let this kid hit. And he's like, he can swing. And I was like, he's got some juice. Hmm. Well, there you go. That's helped turn around the season. Uh, Frankie, how are we doing on time, brother? End of the road, uh, buddy. I, I think we've reached the uh, – and he's the best producer around. He said he tells me that all the time, so I think we're done. Uh, Matthew, uh, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate it. All right? Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on. And thanks, Josh, for being on as well. That's it for this week's show from Page 305. We'll be back next time. See ya. The views and opinions expressed on Front Page 305 are entirely those of the hosts, guests, and callers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Slam Radio.